Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast, sponsored as always by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights that legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, the moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, though? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren, and this is Jam Session, the podcast version 203, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained, people. Oh, my. It's Super Bowl week. It's upon us. Super Bowl 56 coming up on Sunday evening, and we're going to dive into that in a variety of ways. Got a lot of just different things to talk about. We'll check in with our ESPN Cowboys insider, Todd Archer. Get his thoughts on the Super Bowl as well. But of course, as always, we start you off by telling you about Greening Law. Robert Greening and the attorneys, we call them the green team there at Greening Law. And if you've been hurt in a car accident, if you've experienced malpractice, there's so many different clients that they've represented from a variety of reasons, including me, because I was hurt in a car accident. And I'll tell you, it's one of those things. I've had a couple of questions recently because we're trying to get to a point where we're moving forward with everything that I'm going through. And they get back to you, man. They're like, oh, no, we haven't got this or we still need this or whatever it is. And they're just really active with what's going on. And it truly is. They are your legal competitor against insurance companies so that you can focus on getting physically better, getting mentally better, and trying to return to your life pre-accident happening to you. No, that's the best thing about Green is uh, they really take care of their clients, man. It's the best phone call you'll ever make. If you're in an accident, you have an incident, you give them a call, you tell them the details of your case. If they take you on as a client, lucky you. And here's why. The phone call to see if you are a client, that doesn't cost you anything. And then they don't get paid unless you get paid. And so they're on the grind for you nonstop. That's right, man. And again, as you mentioned, the consultation is free. If you think you've got a case, you need to call and let them know and go through that process with them. 972-934-8900. It's 972-934-8900. It's Robert Greening, Offices, Dallas, Texas. So we start you off... Super Bowl Sunday is coming up, as I mentioned earlier, and there's so many great angles for something like this. I mean, you look at Matt Stafford and Aaron Donald, too, especially in Aaron Donald's case. I mean, we may be talking about one of the greatest defensive players in the history of the game. Is he going to get a ring? Is Stafford going to get a ring? You have the matchup, two former number one overall picks and Burrow and Stafford. Only How weird is that that that's only the second time in Super Bowl history that that's ever happened? 
kind of crazy, especially considering the league is full of uh, number one picks playing quarterback and number one picks overall playing quarterback. Yeah. Although they typically go to bad teams. They do. And, and the only other time it ever happened was when Cam Newton took on Peyton Manning. That's it. I mean, other than that, we've never seen this before. I like this matchup. I think it's going to be a fun one. We've been really treated to a playoffs here this postseason. I mean, you think about this. The last six playoff games we've seen, every single one of them has been decided on a walk-off. Five of them were decided by a field goal, and the only one that wasn't was the overtime Chiefs-Buffalo game that was decided on a last-second overtime touchdown pass. Dude, what did we say from about three-quarters of the season on? which is why we were like, if the Cowboys can just find some damn consistency yeah. and get in, they can make it happen. Because what was the question? Who scares you? Yeah, there's good teams, but who scares you? Who's the 85 Bears? You know, who's the undefeated Patriots? Who's that team you go, oh, my God, we can't beat them? And Nobody. there is one. It was, yeah. it was wide open, man, which is why two four seeds find themselves in a championship game. That's exactly right. And why it's – I think the Rams are favored by four – and everybody's kind of anticipating another one of those types of games like we have seen the last six playoff games. You sent something over this morning that really, I mean, God, you talk about forcing me down a rabbit hole. I Sorry. Got, <laughs> I, just, I got really curious on this because you sent a tweet that is from football perspective, and I thought this was wild. And it really just took a look at the Rams, and I think this is fascinating between the 2018 Rams and the 2021 Rams. This Rams team played in the Super Bowl three years ago in Super Bowl 53, and here they are again in Super Bowl 56. They have the same general manager. They have the same head coach. But shockingly, when you look at this, they had 32 players who played a snap in the NFC Championship game a little over a week ago. 16 on offense, 16 on defense. Out of those 32 players, only four of them took a snap in the Super Bowl, in Super Bowl 53, the last time the Rams were here. That is how much turnover they have had on both sides of the ball, especially defensively, where only one player took a snap in Super Bowl 53, and that was Aaron Donald. That's why ain't nobody trying to hit nothing about no damn window. Look how much their team turned over, bro. Mm -hmm. The NFL, with, with the way the salary cap is, where you basically got high-priced players and rookies and you don't have a real middle class anymore, it's about putting your team together and, uh, and rolling it, man, because your team turns over so much every year because you can't keep guys, um, you know, because of the contract status. If you're not a star, you got to go. Most guys aren't stars, so you're turning over 30% of your team every year, which is why in three years you got just a handful of guys left. Now, to be fair, Robert Woods has been injured all year this year, and Cooper Cup was injured in the 2018 season, but that's the reality of what you do, kind of massaging the roster and how you're using this. And, man, I, I just – so I took that tweet, and it, it got me really curious. I was like, okay, well, I'm very curious about this because – and we kind of talked about this with Ed Warner in our last podcast – we talk about how the Rams have built this team and, and they're so different the way they've done it than say what Cincinnati has done. So I decided to see, okay, well, how much different? So I went back and I looked at every player who took a snap for the Rams in the NFC title game and every player who took a snap for the Bengals in the AFC title game to figure out where they came from and how these teams were constructed. And so what I have discovered, and I think we've talked about this before, the Rams have not had a first-round draft pick since they drafted Jared Goff in 2016. So, of course, they are doing this a lot differently because I just gave you that number of the, of the returning players. 
Of the 32 players that took a snap in the NFC title game, only one of them, only one of their main players that gets on the field on offense and defense is a first-round draft pick, and that's Aaron Donald. How about that? I mean, and then I, I didn't take the time to do this. And I don't know if I'll have the time to do this, but I wonder how many teams could say that, that they only have one of their, I'm not even talking starters. I'm talking about one and then their rotational guys. Only one player they actually use as a first round draft pick. Homegrown draft pick, I think. Just Yeah, yeah, sorry. Home, yes, only one of their own homegrown draft picks, yes. But that's got to be fairly rare, I would think. <laughs> I would, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be because normally your first round pick, even if you hit it 50%, you know, over yeah. a five-year, six-year period, three of those guys are, like, legitimate players. So you look at this overall for the Rams, out of those 32 total players, 16 offense, 16 defense, out, when you combine all of that, guys that were actually drafted by the Rams is 19 of them. So 19 of the 32, but technically it's just 16 because three of them were undrafted free agents. So of the players that built the Rams, only half of them, the team even drafted themselves. Three of them, they got as undrafted free agents. And then the others, you know, they, we, we all know this with the trades. They got Matt Stafford and they got uh, Sony Michelle in a trade. They got Von Miller in a trade. They have some free agent signings that have really paid off from them. Whether you look at somebody like Odell Beckham Jr., who they picked up in the middle of the season, or Andrew Whitworth, who was a big free agent signing for them. You look at players like uh, Eric Weddle. You look at Darius Williams. Also, Leonard Floyd and Ashawn Robinson, who are big rotational players for them defensively. So what they've done is is they've really identified positions and said, let's go and figure out how to get elite level at those positions. And then we'll kind of spackle in the rest with affordable free agents and kind of of middle-of-the-road draft picks. Well, you know, that's that's an interesting approach to take, but it, it, it makes sense to me. Um, you know, I used to do a chart and, uh, you know, on, um, you know, the six key positions for the Cowboys yeah. and how those guys fared during the season and, and what level player they were. Because if you had and you go back to those positions when the Cowboys were winning Super Bowls and then you compare them to what they have now and you go, OK, this is why they won Super Bowls then and they're not winning them now. And it's usually quarterback, running back, receiver, left tackle, pass rusher. Uh, cornerback in some other spot that you know I can't think of now because I'm an old man. But uh, you know it's it's always interesting to do that. But uh, the Rams have a ballsy formula, man. No doubt. But and it's just. A, I was going to say I mean, to your point, it, that's what they've done though. Because go through that like what the the important was at quarterback. They went out and they right. traded. They traded a first-round pick to quarterback Jared Goff and two first-round picks to upgrade what they believe is the quarterback they needed. Left tackle, they went out and signed a big-time free agent in Andrew Whitworth when he originally left Cincinnati, and they gave him a ton of money to come over and be left tackle for them. You talk about wide receiver, well, they drafted Cooper Cup, yes, but they also went out and picked up Odell Beckham Jr., who forced his way out of Cleveland so basically he could get with the Rams. You talk about cornerback, what'd they do? Well, they went out and traded two first-round draft picks to acquire Jalen Ramsey. So... Uh, four of the positions that you just talked about are not homegrown Rams. They kind of identified a piece where they could get better because they took care of the other positions well enough. I mean, I think that's the whole thing, man. Um, those are the positions that win because you're either scoring touchdowns or preventing touchdowns from being scored, if you think about it. There are perimeter spots. And um, if you've got stars at those spots, especially mega stars, man, 
it's hard to beat you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because I always say, man, think back when the Cowboys won their last Super Bowl. Okay. Aikman, Hall of Famer. Emmett, Hall of Famer. Michael, Hall of Famer. Defensive end, Charles Haley, Hall of Famer. Cornerback, Deion Sanders, Hall of Famer. Left tackle, Mark Tuanay, uh two or three time Pro Bowl. Yeah. I mean, th- I mean that's, that's why the hell they won. Yeah. And, and that's where, you know, when you look at the flip side of this with Cincinnati, so you talk about how the Rams built their team and where those guys come from. Cincinnati is interesting because they took a colossally different approach on offense and defense. They had 18 different players who took an offensive snap in the AFC title, of, title game. Eight of them were drafted in the first two rounds. Eight of their okay. 18 offensive players were drafted in the first two rounds of the NFL draft. Now, they sucked for a minute, so they were getting premium right. players in the first two rounds. Yeah, they have three first-rounders playing for them. Jonah Williams on the offensive line, Joe Burrow, and Jamar Chase. They have nailed it in the second round, dude. Drew Sample, T. Higgins, Joe Mixon, Tyler Boyd, and Jackson Carmen, five second-rounders who play significant amount of time for them. So you look at this, they had 13 because they had 11 players they drafted and two undrafted free agents. So 13 of their off 18 offensive players have never played for anybody other than Cincinnati. And then they kind of filled it in offensively. They've got three dudes they signed off of waivers and then two other guys they signed as super cheap free agent options. So they put a lot of draft capital into building their offense. Well, what does that mean? The flip side is for Cincinnati's defense, of the 19 different players that took a snap in the AFC title game on defense, 11 of them were signed as free agents and one was traded for. So they went out and they said, okay, we invested all this draft capital on offense, so let's put some money into the defense. They go get Cheeto Bay Awujier, Von Bell, Eli Apple, Mike Hilton, uh, uh, Trey Hendrickson, DJ Reader. I mean, just all these guys for free agency. And then they still hit on a couple of their mid-round draft picks, which a couple of third-round guys, and then Jesse Bates, who was a second-rounder, who have been really significant tr- contributors for them. But you kind of see this. It's colossally different than the way that the Rams built their team. Yeah, I think. But, you know, I think that goes to show you that there's more than one way to get it, to get it done. But the reality is the Bengals wasn't shit till the quarterback showed up. That's true. Um, and the quarterback's a difference maker. Not every quarterback you take number one overall is a difference maker. And certainly not every quarterback you take number one overall figures it out as quickly as uh, Joe Burrow has figured it out. And that's the thing that makes the uh, that should make the Bengals happy is he figured it out. Now, unless there's some bizarre thing that happens, they basically don't have to worry about quarterback for the next 12 seasons. Yeah. Um, they got they have to worry about it from the perspective of their cheap ass organization. And when he starts counting $45 million against the cap, you know, what will they do because, you know, they don't like to spend a lot of money there. That's a good problem to have. But their quarterback situation is solved, and now um, that's the hardest part of the puzzle to solve. I mean, look at, look at the Vikings, man. The Vikings are like – the reason they got Kirk Cousins, who statistically is good, but anybody who's watched him play knows he doesn't do enough to get the job done. Yeah. The reason they acquired him was they're like, we literally have everything else but a quarterback. If we can just get a serviceable quarterback, it can put us over the top. And, of course, Kirk Cousins, I don't know how he does. He puts up these great numbers, but he never wins anything. I mean, it's the damnedest thing you've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, man. I mean, but that's that's what it is. I mean, again, 16 of 32 for the Rams were drafted by the Rams. 
37 players who took snaps for Cincinnati in the AFC title game. 18 of them were drafted by Cincinnati, including two who were un, undrafted free agents. So 20 overall who have never played for anybody else. Uh, and and uh, one-third of their key contributors, 12 of their guys that get a lot of snaps for them, they drafted in the first three rounds. They, they have... And part of that is because you go back, they have hit in the second round in six straight drafts. They've pulled a guy who is a starter from them out of the second round. Compare that to the Cowboys, whose <laughs> reputation is they can they hit in the first round. They can't do anything to save their life in the second yeah. round. I mean, it's crazy, man. I was going back looking at that. And, and Jackson Carmen, who has played in every game this year and is a like a swing guy that they're using as a rookie tackle out of Clemson in this class. T. Higgins, Drew Sample, who's their tight end. Jesse Bates, who's one of their starting safeties. Joe Mixon, Tyler Boyd. And then the last time they missed was in 2015 when they drafted Jake Fisher at tackle, who, you know, even then he, he, he was solid and, and serviceable for them but I mean really six in a row of guys who are starters for Cincinnati out of the second round well they're also good starters because some yeah, of it is yeah. you can be a bad you, you know you hit on your second round pick because you're a bad team yep and so the guy comes in and starts right away but these are good starters and so you know but I think the thing to put them over the top man was not just Burrow I think you got to get a Bengals credit they conventional wisdom last year said hey go take uh Panay Sewell the big tackle out of Oregon. He's your left tackle. He'll protect your quarterback. Your offensive line sucks. Um, go get him. And you're straight there for a decade along with Joe Burrow. That's conventional football yep. wisdom. Sure. It makes perfect sense. There's nothing you could say negative about that decision. Instead, they made a Dallas Cowboys-type move, which was let's take the flash and the sizzle. Let's go get Jamar Chase, who played with Burrow at LSU, and let's hope that that chemistry carries over and the same stuff we saw them do at LSU together to win a championship, they can bring it to uh, to Cincinnati. And there's a lot of people go, oh, you should do that. Wide receivers come out every year, blah, 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 blah. I think this case was different because they had played together, and he is a, a physical freak of nature. He's like 6'2", 210 or something, and runs like yeah. four two or four, low 4'3". Four and you see him play this year, and you go, oh, yeah, that dude's different. It is. And, look, to be fair, the offensive line is obviously a problem, and I think everybody's aware of that. Ed Warder had the stat about how many times Joe Burrow has been sacked and nobody ever reaches the Super Bowl with getting sacked like this. They've got to upgrade the offensive line, but that's something that they can do because now they've got this – I mean, they've got this young core on offense of eight dudes that are high draft picks – that are relatively young to where if they can plug a couple of holes on the offensive line, this offense should be a nightmare to deal with, with Joe Burrow dealing around for the next handful of years. Uh, yeah, I think so, man. Uh, they got to get the offensive line fixed, but the thing about it is Burrow's going to be good, man. Um, you know, and he's got the number one receiver, and the, the, the other two guys are, are outstanding. And so they've given him weapons. What is it we always talk about, Matt? You got to give young quarterbacks weapons, uh, you know, so that they got somebody to throw to so that they can have some means of success. They've done that for him. He's got a scheme that seems to work. And offensively, they're going to be straight. They are indeed. So there it is, the construction of both of those rosters. Different, obviously much different, but they have made it to the Super Bowl. We'll see how it turns out on Sunday evening. I can tell you how this is going to turn out. All you got to do is open your mouth and you put a little bruised biltong in there and you'll be like, oh, hell yeah. That's what I'm talking about. 
Bruise Biltong. Have you ordered yours yet? We've been telling you about Bruise Biltong for a while. If for some reason you haven't ordered it, I don't know what the problem would be for you because <laughs> I'm telling you, man, if you like beef jerky, you're going to love Biltong. It's fa- it's savory. It's more tender. And it is absolutely no sugar, no artificial ingredients. I, I think it makes a great snack. I, re- I truly love Biltong. No, I think it's the perfect snack if you're like me and a lot of folks are trying to watch their weight. I'm not talking about being on some strict diet. I'm talking about just watching what you eat. It's fantastic, man. They got a two-ounce pouch with, I think it's 240 calories. It's 30 grams of protein. There's no carbs. There's no fat. There's no sugar. It's perfect snack. And for me, it's really filling. Like, it's not like I'm hungry like an hour later. It's like I can go three hours after I eat some, and I'm like, I'm still good. And to me, that's uh, that's what I like about it, and, and and that's why I would tell anybody, get some of that savory, tender, sensationally juicy even, uh, Biltong. Use the promo code JAM15 at checkout. You get 15% off your order. It's Bruise Biltong, B-R-U-S-B-I-L-T-O-N-G.com. BruiseBiltong.com. Check them out. Also, of course, Deb and her husband, Mike, the fantastic team behind Blue Star Motor Group, specializing in superior quality, Carfax certified, pre-owned vehicles of all makes and models. If you are looking at buying a car, You've got to start the process. I'm telling you, the first call that you need to make is to Deb, 817-881-4066. Start the process at bluestarmotorgroup.com. Dude, I tell everybody you got to do it because Deb's a deal maker. <clears throat> See, not everybody's a deal maker. Deb's a deal maker because she ain't real, she ain't got no finance manager to answer to. She doesn't have a GM to answer to. She can make it happen. She can get it done. So you talk to her, and here's the other thing, man. They're trying to make it a win-win situation. Not everybody does that. So when the handshakes are done, the contracts are signed, you look at that rearview mirror, you see everybody smiling. That's why Blue Star Motor Group works. Online at bluestarmotorgroup.com or again, shoot her a text, give her a call, 817-881-4066. And keep in mind, they will come to you if you're looking to sell your car. I'm not talking about the car that you smashed up in Iraq. All right, I'm not talking about the car that's got 140,000 miles on it. But if you are looking to sell your car, and it is in good condition, and it is not smashed up. They're not one of the. They're not a salvage yard, okay. But what you can do is you can text Deb or you can give her a call. Be like, hey, I've got this. Whatever it is, it's got like sixty-two thousand miles on it, or it's got thirty-eight thousand miles on it. I'm looking to move on. I will tell you this: in the unfortunate circumstance, you know, a lot of people when they pass, you don't know what to do with their car. And if you find yourself in that situation and, and it's time to move on from somebody's car in a scenario like that, you know, give Deb a call. That's where they can come to you. They'll give you cash for your vehicle and help you to move forward with that. 817-881-4066 online at bluestarmotorgroup.com. So we got to have this chat here. Do you know the Oscar nominations came out today? We're recording this on Tuesday. They came out this morning. Oh, no. Can't say that I did. Man, and this is really interesting because I, I've heard of several of these movies, but I have only seen one of the 10 movies that has received a nomination for Best Picture this year. Bro. Well, here's the deal. I'm interested in hearing of them. I just want to know how many I've heard of, not just that I've even seen, because back in the day, like three years ago, I used to be a huge movie goer. You know, I, yeah. you know, because of my schedule, I go at two o'clock in the afternoon when nobody was there and catch a flick and still go pick up my kids by four o'clock or whatever I need to do. 
uh, COVID ended all of that, and I haven't been able to get back in the uh, back in the deal yet, man. I mean, back in the groove, back in the mood. Just like I think I've been, I think I've been to two movies. I think, I think I've been to two movies in the last uh, since COVID started, since the pandemic started. Yeah, I, I I rarely ever go to the theater, but one thing that I do like to do is when the Best Picture nominees come out, I, I like to try and watch several of these. And I'll tell you, we'll go through the list here. I've only seen one of them. And again, there are 10 nominated movies this year. First up is Belfast, which I have heard is phenomenal. And a lot of people believe that Belfast is the front runner for Best Picture this year. It's a Kenneth Branagh, the director and actor, is behind this. It has Judy Dench's in it and, and some like Colin Morgan and some other people. It is nominated for seven overall Academy Awards including Best Director and Best Picture. And apparently it's a semi-autobiographical film which chronicles the life of a working-class family and their young son's childhood through the tumult of the late 1960s in the Northern Ireland capital of Belfast. Hmm. But I, I'm, I'm up for that one because I have heard that's been one that has been around for a long time that everybody's been talking about is incredible. Next up is a movie called CODA, C-O-D-A, and what it stands for, it's an acronym. It stands for Child of Deaf Adults. And it is a movie about a 17-year-old who is the only hearing member of a deaf family in Massachusetts working mornings before school to help her parents and brother keep their fishing business afloat. All right, that sounds cool. I'm not interested in seeing that. Yeah. It's I, too much of an artsy film. It very well may be. And as you can imagine, you know, that that got a, like a best screenplay nomination, I think, an acting nom and, and it's nominated for best picture. Don't Look Up is the one I've seen of, of the whole list. This is the only one I've seen. And this is a movie that's available on Netflix. And it stars Leonardo DiCaprio. It has Jennifer Lawrence, Ariana Grande, Kate Blanchett, Meryl Streep, Timothy Chalamet, Chalamet, excuse me. They're all in here, and this is a satire of what we have all been dealing with over the last couple of years, but it is about two low-level astronomers who go on a giant media tour to warn mankind of an approaching comet that will destroy planet Earth. And when you're watching this, you're going, well, I mean, like they go and tell the president there's a, there's a comet, it's going to blow us all up, you should do something. She goes, there's no comet. No, there's not. <laughs> And Meryl Streep plays the president. She goes, I don't know why you're trying to scare everybody saying she goes, well, what is the probability? And Leonardo DiCaprio is this astronomer. He's like, I, I mean, it's it's ninety nine point nine nine percent that it's coming. She goes, OK, yeah. So there's a point one percent chance it's not going to happen. And you want to make this a big deal like it, it's that it's I thought it was really well done and very well acted. I loved the script. I thought it was written very cleverly. I was going to say, and I might be intrigued by that. And I don't usually like stuff like that, but that might be so over the top. I find it amusing. Yeah, and it, it's it's interesting, but that got, I don't think it got any acting awards, but I do believe it was nominated for Best Original Screenplay, along with Best Picture. The other one is called Drive My Car, which apparently is a foreign language film, and I'm going to be flat out honest with you, I'm not watching it. <laughs> Subtitles? I, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know what to tell you guys. It's about an aging widowed actor seeking a, who seeks a chauffeur and he and somebody ends up recommending a girl and they end up developing a relationship. It's it's a foreign language film. I, I just don't care. I don't know what to tell you. I'm sorry. I ain't mad at you, bro. Next up is Dune. I'm sure you've heard of Dune. 
No? It's a I remake of like the movie that came out, when was it? Like the oh. 80s or something? I was going to say late 70s, early 80s. Yeah, something like that. And this one is the, it's Timothy Chalamet is in it. And it, it basically is, you know, it's, it's the story of this kid who's super brilliant and has to travel to a dangerous planet in the universe to ensure the future of his people. It's supposed to be badass. I'm, I'm interested in that. Zendaya is in it. Is it Zendaya or Zendaya? Well, she's, she's attractive, so I might see it just for that. And then you've got, yeah, a couple of others that, that are in it. That got a bunch of nominations. King Richard, which is the Will Smith vehicle that is the story of the Williams sisters, Serena and Venus Williams, their dad. It's King Richard. All right, that's the only one I've heard of. I heard Will Smith did a uh, really outstanding job on that one. That's what I've heard, man, and I'm a big Will Smith fan. I mean, the times where he has done some more serious roles, like when he did Pursuit of Happiness and when he did Ali, he was genius. I mean, I thought he was awesome. The next one up is one called Licorice Pizza, which is a, Paul, it's a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. It stars uh, Sean Penn is in it, Bradley Cooper, and it's, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson is an acquired taste. If you're familiar with any of his films, he has done some things in the course of his career that are a little, they're just a bit different than, I guess, your normal film. Trying to think how you would describe what he does. Like, for instance, he did, he did like Boogie Nights. He did Magnolia. He did There Will Be Blood, which was phenomenal. He did The Master, Punch Drunk Love, those types of movies. Those are all his movies. Okay. They're all good. Yeah, so he is behind this one, Licorice Pizza. So it, it, I guess if you want to check that out, go watch Licorice Pizza. It's an epic adventure where anything is possible. A young girl with a big imagination makes an incredible discovery. The amusement park of her dreams has come to life. It sounds like Jumanji, man. Are there yeah. any original scripts out there? Well, uh, next up is Nightmare Alley. And Nightmare Alley is a horror film. It is a Guillermo del Toro film. It was nominated oh. for four Academy Awards, and it's a horror film. So there you have it. <laughs> or a thriller. I guess I should describe it more as a thriller. All right. I mean, that's okay. That's cool. I'm, uh, I don't know, man. I'm still into episodic TV yeah. over these movies. And then the final two, The Power of the Dog, which is another one. It, it, people say it'll either be Belfast or Power of the Dog that wins. This one's on Netflix. This has Benedict Cumberbatch. It has Jesse Plemons. Kirsten Dunst is in it. And it's like an older, like the first time I saw the preview for it, I watched the preview. I was like, really? I was like, man, that's supposed to be the best movie of the year. It looks really slow. But the, it, it, here's how they describe it. A domineering rancher responds with mocking cruelty when his brother brings home a new wife and her son until the unexpected comes to pass. Like, okay. Hmm. I wonder what the unexpected is. I don't know, man, but that thing got, I mean, it got best picture, best director, supporting actress, supporting actor, best actor, screenplay. I mean, it got all kinds of nominations. And then the final one is the Steven Spielberg directed remake of the musical from, I believe, the 60s that I'm sure most people are familiar with, West Side Story. Oh, wow. They're remaking that. Yeah, yeah, that came out uh, late last year, 
And for those of you that don't know, it's based in like late 1950s New York. It's the romance between two rivaling gangs, the Jets and the Sharks. It's it's the play that everybody's been in in high school. It, it's But it's a new movie and it's supposed to be badass and it's directed by Steven Spielberg. All right. Good enough. So there you have it. Those are your 10 Oscar movies. Go watch them, I guess. Oh, I will tell you this. I started watching Yellowstone. And Was I got to say, hype? it is it? pretty good. All right, because what's, if okay, what makes it pretty good in a nutshell? Well, they do what you like, where they'll kill somebody you wouldn't expect to die, and they do it right in the first episode. All right, that's a winner. And that's I was like, man, I was, wow, okay. There is, I mean, it, it's, somebody described it to me as Sopranos mixed with Sons of Anarchy, and I get what they were talking about. I would look at it as a Western kind of Sopranos, where it is a family who controls basically the state of Montana because they own the right. largest ranch in the country. And so right. they, it's the battle of them, the cattle ranchers, the Native American Indian reservations in that area, and it's all like this... It's it's really well done. We're only two episodes in, but I was like, man, I I get the hype on this thing. This is really well done. It's written well. It's acted well. There's a lot of suspense, and they are not afraid to shoot people in the face. <laughs> it's the old west. It is so they, to some uh, degree. Yeah, uh, that's that's what people did back then. I gotta tell you, Matt, and you, uh, I'm a, I'm gonna throw a lifeboat, a life, uh, what do you call that thing? The the lifesaver out there for you. To, to pull me back to shore I was all hyped to see Reacher And I didn't really like the first episode all that much Uh oh I was like yeah this is okay But uh Yeah see I, wa- I wondered like if you didn't know the books at all If you would like the series Well that's a good point Because I didn't know the books Yeah And I had no interest in watching it when it was Tom Cruise But I like most stuff that Prime original stuff so I gave it a shot and I wasn't, I'm not out after one, but it, I was like, okay, bro, you, you, y'all got to bring it a little stronger in this, in this episode too. Yeah, because I, I mean, I will say outside of the Reacher character, the acting is kind of weak in some spots and it's a yeah. little hokey at times. I uh, see. I found it a lot hokey. Yeah. Like, really? I can Come see on, that for man. sure. But the Reacher character is badass. I mean, he's Reacher. Yeah, he's Reacher. He just needs some more people with him. Yeah, he does. It would be nice. I thought the same thing, and I wondered I, I wondered this when it was over. I think I even said this out loud. Because if, if they do another season, Reacher is never in the same place twice. Like, he just he's a nomad. And so if they're going to do a new season, they would have to have an entirely new cast other than Reacher. And I wonder if it has success that they would invest more money in it and hire better acting and, and be able to produce it a little bit better. No, that would make sense to me. Because they should do that. Yeah, I mean, you can get rid of the entire cast other than him, and it would follow the next book because he never keeps anybody around him. Like, other than Neely, which I don't know if she's in episode one, but other than her, that's it. Like, he doesn't have same connections from the past. But Yellowstone, Yellowstone's better than Reacher, I'll tell you that. I mean, Yellowstone is like a big-budget, like crazy well-done television show. All right, that's good. Like, I've been impressed because, like you say, you know, you hear all the hype. Like, why, why is everybody watching Yellowstone? Why is this so badass? And then two episodes in, I mean, hell, the fir- I'll tell you the first scene, and it doesn't ruin anything for anybody because it has nothing to do with the plot or anything. The very first scene of the very first episode of Yellowstone, 
is Kevin Costner plays the patriarch of this powerful family in Montana. Apparently, he has gotten in a wreck with his horse trailer, and he walks over to the horse, and you see, like, the horse is, like, neighing, and it's, like, legs broken, and it's bleeding, and he just walks up, pulls out a gun, and shoots it in the head. <laughs> and, I mean, it's, you're like, whoa, all right, welcome to Yellowstone. Well, damn. I mean, it's right off the bat of, it, it's, there's blood, and there's shooting, and there's killing, and there's conniving, and there's sex, and there's, I mean, it's, it's impressive. It's my kind of show. Now, I did forget to ask you the $64,000 question. Mm. Uh, what platform is it on? Oh, that's interesting. Man, we went and jumped through the hoops trying to figure out how to watch this thing. For free? No, we couldn't. We I don't think it's available for free. If somebody knows where you can watch it, and I mean you do not pay anything for it, not a part of like your service, because it said it was on YouTube TV, which I have. So I tried to record it, but they're replaying episodes like coming up in a couple of weeks. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll try that and see if it works. So then I signed up for Peacock because it's on Peacock, the app or the streaming platform. So yeah. I signed up for Peacock to try that because I knew I could get it immediately on there and it streams it and all that. Outside of that, I don't know where else you get it from that all these people are watching it supposedly for free. <laughs> all right. I don't mind Peacock. Uh, let me see. Peacock's, although I haven't paid for Peacock, I've been getting their free stuff. Yeah, and you can watch the first episode for free, but the second episode you have to sign up, and there's two levels. They do one that has ads that's $4.99 a month, and then the other one is $9.99 a month for no ads. All right. Or, like, apparently, like, if you pay for Hulu streaming TV, and not just, like, basic Hulu, but if you pay for Hulu Live, it'll be on there where you can watch it. But we had to dig around a little bit. I was, I was like, man, this seems like... Because I thought it was on Paramount Plus, and I guess it's not, but they'll replay it. It's weird. It's I don't know how to figure this out. Because I downloaded <laughs> Paramount Plus and signed up for a free trial. It wasn't on Paramount Plus. You're like, well, damn. I know, but it's on the TV channel Paramount, but not on Paramount Plus. Like, if you are on Paramount Plus, you can watch 1883. I'm serious. Go, whoever has Paramount Plus, go try to find Yellowstone and watch it on there. It's not on there. But it's on the Paramount channel. Wow. So I don't know how the hell that's supposed to work. Go figure. Yeah, man, I thought that was bizarre as hell, but apparently they're different. So whatever. They shouldn't name things the same. That's stupid. Anyway, that's my rant. <laughs> so the other thing I have for you here before we move forward quickly is, and this is something that features, and, and by the way, if you haven't been to Smokey John's Barbecue yet, I would encourage you to check them out because they're fantastic and you can still get the jam session bowl. And Brent and Juan are the brother duo that are behind Smokey John's Barbecue. And Smokey John's is going to be one of the featured TV or one of the featured local restaurants in DFW on a new A&E TV show called Deep Fried Dynasty, which is going to feature, it'll, they'll do episodes on the people who create all the fried concoctions and all that stuff for the State Fair of Texas, including... Brent and Juan, who do it for Smokey John's Barbecue, and then they, they've they done some things over the years, and one of the episodes features them. Yeah. Matter of fact, they came up to the station uh, and brought us some stuff more than once, but one time yeah. in particular with State Fair Food, and it was it was divine. It was fantastic. And uh, they're on the front page of the Metro section in the uh, Dallas Morning News today, so you can, you can check that out if you get however you, uh, as Matt would say, consume uh, the Dallas Morning News these days. Yeah, because they had one. Remember, it was, it was called Big Red Chicken Bread, 
which was, as I recall, like a big, a donut glazed in big red with a, a fried chicken wing on it in the hole, and then it had little sunglasses on it. Yeah, it was it was great because I liked the big red uh, the big red donut was on point. And that was pretty cool because, as I recall, they were that was 2019 when they won. And of course, this features some of you may have heard of Abel Gonzalez, and he's featured in the trailer. And he describes himself in the trailer as my nickname is Fried Jesus. And he is a five-time Big Tech's Choice Awards winner, and he created fried Coke and fried butter. Fried Coke and fried butter. Yeah, but I will say, because I interviewed him once, this is before, originally before I ever moved to Alabama years ago, when Scott and I were doing the show, we had him on on our Sunday morning show once, and he came in and brought us some stuff, and he said, you know, I can, I can fry anything. And I go, really? He goes, oh, yeah. I go, can you fry breast milk? And he just looked at me and he looked at Scott and Scott was like, I, I don't know what to tell you. And he goes, I mean, I, I don't, I, I, I don't know. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I was just curious. You said you could fry anything. I don't know. I was just wondering. <laughs> he'd never, he'd never had breast milk put out there as a, nope. as a deal. Leave it to me to offer him something he had never thought of before. <laughs> but this might, this might be cool because apparently, so this, this show in each episode of deep fried dynasty You'll meet, like I said, these different restaurants and different people, and they go through, kind of follow them around 24 days straight, walking around in, in the Texas heat and kind of what they do of all the things, the funnel cakes, the corny dogs, the turkey legs, and everything that makes the State Fair of Texas what it is. So it'll feature, here's just a few of the people that'll be on this, Cassie Jones, who's famous for her fried collard greens. The, daughter, the daughters of Wanda Winter, who created the funnel cake and was known as the funnel cake queen. As we said, our friends Juan and Brent Reeves with Smokey John's Barbecue, who, again, with the big red chicken bread. You've got uh, Gonzalez is going to be on there, of course, because he's created a ton of stuff. Clint Probst, who has won with the deep fried I-35 dish, which I guess won last year. And I didn't realize there was something called this. What is a deep fried I thirty five dish, dude? I, oh, here it is. You got me a fried kolache, fried kolache dough topped with smoked beef brisket and drizzled with peach juice, combined with Dr Pepper. Hmm, bro. All I don't right, know well. if that's a heart attack or indigestion waiting, and it could very well be delicious. Yeah, it could I be. Just don't know. There's no way to know unless you try it. You got to put it in your mouth if you want to try it, bro. That sounds very interesting. Bro. Stay fair, Texas, man. They've got all kinds of wild, weird crap. <laughs> I mean, they do. I mean, it's all kinds of random stuff. But this will be, I think I have A&E. I may put this on the DVR to check that out because I'd like to see their episode from Smokey John's. That's for sure. Dude. Um, no, I think it'd be great. I mean, and Wanda Brenner, fantastic. They've, they've done so much TV. They're very comfortable. So um, it'll, be, it'll be fun to watch them do their thing. It will be. So check them out. And again, watch them on TV or, or visit them at the store, Smokey John's Barbecue. It's over there off Mockingbird uh, in between Love Field and 35. And like I mentioned, the Jam Session Bowl, only available to Jam Session podcast listeners. You have to listen to the podcast to know it's even a menu item because it's not on the actual menu. It's the secret menu. When you order it, you get a complimentary drink that comes along with that. It's your choice, made from scratch, mac and cheese or mashed potatoes. You can choose two different types of meat to top it with. You get the cheese and the, and the chives and, and the fresh bacon bits and all that, and then they drizzle it on top 
with Smokey John's barbecue sauce, and it is fantastico. So you should eat. Yes, it's fantastico. Exactly. It's Smokey John's barbecue. So make it happen. You can check them out online too at smokyjohns.com. Also, of course, podcast, as always, is made possible for you by your guy. He's worked on all of your cars. I mean, every single car you've ever had, he has put his hands inside of it. JR and his guys at Freeway Tire Shop, the mechanic you can trust, the mechanic who backs up his work, does what he says, and stands behind it. Dude, I don't know if I'd ever thought about it like that, but but you're kind of right, man. And, uh, you know, the thing about JR, man, is, and I tell everybody this is for mechanics and me, man, it's all about trust, bro. And you can trust him. That's what I like about him. You can trust him to diagnose the problem. That's the first thing. Can we just figure out what's wrong with the mm-hmm. damn car? Then you can trust him to use quality parts. And I'll never forget the time he told me, man, JJT, I can put this part on your car. It's less, but it's not going to last as long. Or I can put this more expensive part on your car. Um, and it'll last a lot longer. Choice is yours, which one you want me to do. I was like, wow, bro, I'm down with that. And then, uh, you know, I trust him to uh, give me a good price, and I trust him to stand behind his work, man. He does this stuff consistently. He does it all the time. You'll never find a better mechanic. You got that right. It is Freeway Tire Shop. You can find him online where you can request a quote. You can schedule an appointment. Make sure you let him know that you heard about him on the Jam Session podcast. JR always loves meeting you guys. He's a big listener of what we do as well. Again, it is Freeway Tire Shop. It is just north of downtown Dallas, right there off of I-35, online at freewaytireshop.com. So this being Super Bowl week, as many of you know, Jacques and I, When this is what I loved about doing radio in Dallas, I will say this, is Cumulus would always send, at the time, both stations, now it's just the ticket, but they send the stations to Radio Row, wherever it was, whatever city it was in. Like I saw on Twitter that the guys that are doing shows on the ticket this year, they're out in Los Angeles because the Super Bowl's out there. But Jacques and I, the, the two years that we did the show on ESPN, we got to go to Atlanta, and then we went to Miami, and we did radio row shows out there, and we had some good times. I, those were some of my favorite trips. That I th- that's the type of thing that I wish I could do again. That I loved about that. Yeah, no, no doubt. What's uh, what's your favorite memory? And, and just before you say, I tee it up for you. You know, I thought it was great for me because I think at that point I had probably been to twenty four, twenty five Super Bowls. And so I knew the drill. I knew how the things work. So it was cool to watch Matt go and kind of check it all out and, uh, and soak it all in. Yeah, man. I mean, one, the security was like insane. I'll never forget that, especially when we show up at Atlanta and everywhere you look, you're going through a variety of checkpoints. They're looking in your bag. And then these dudes are like, I don't even know, AR-15s or whatever they are, walking around, just walking up and right. down with, with drug-sniffing dogs and all this and bomb-sniffing dogs. No, no, there's tons of security, uh, especially in Atlanta. Um, yeah, there was a lot in Atlanta. Like, like that was because that was the year where Steve Dennis had lost his bag or whatever. And he ended <laughs> up getting really loud about how he had lost his bag. And all of a sudden, like people started walking over. I will say the other thing, really the things that jump out to me. And of course, when we were in Atlanta, a lot of you know that Pat Green is one of my favorite, if not my favorite musical artist ever. And I had an opportunity because he came over. George Dunham from The Ticket knows him. And he introduced me to Pat Green. And and we got to sit down and talk to Pat Green for a long time. And that was a really cool, badass memory for me that I just, 
I mean, of all the athletes and of all the people I've ever interviewed, that was probably the one where I had a boner the entire time. <laughs> With no Viagra. Yeah, you know, I was just like, Pat Green. <laughs> and I, no, that's cool. That was pretty awesome. And, and, you know, doing sucky sports karaoke in those environments was always interesting. Oh, yeah, where you got to sing and do your yeah. real singing. In your real voice with people yep. looking around, staring at you, wondering what the deal is. Pissing uh, off other was, shows and all that. <laughs> it, was, it was like that with Homer Audio, uh, too. Now, this this is an, you know, we had to, in Miami, we had the crazy cab ride. Yeah. Oh, my uh, God, that uh, dude. Holy Uber, crap. I don't know if he was a cab or an Uber. I can't yeah, he was, he was from, an Uber, yeah. But, man, he airport. was insane. <laughs> and then we told him we were, we were strip club executives. Yep. Uh, flying in for the game, so that was amusing. Uh, now here's here, now here's a funny thing, man. I was thinking about this this morning for some strange reason. You know, when you're working with a crew, a team, you got to be a good teammate. And so we 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 wind up in Miami, and it's a sad day because in Miami, that's when Kobe died that day. Oh, that's right, um, the day we got there. So we're walking in, we're like, "What the hell? Kobe Bryant died? Oh my god!" And so we kind of get uh, situated. But before that, we're at the hotel and we're getting situated and we go, hey, let's go get credentials. And see, I, I'm probably breaking news to Matt. I don't think I've told him this before. Oh, look who it is. Oh, it's Todd Archer. Well, he can hear this story. Okay. So um, so we got to well, go get credentials. We have to say hi to Todd. Oh, hey, Todd. So we got to go get credentials. <laughs> What's up, buddy? Can you hear me? Yeah, we got you now. Yeah, yeah I can hear oh, you now. Okay. That was weird. We're talking Super Bowl. We're talking Super Bowl memories, right? Quick, and so um, it's a classic Taylor memory. And so we're all it's figuring out. Okay, memory? no, but that's a that's a championship game memory. That's another time for another day. Oh. Um, and it's so a, we. Uh, <laughs> no, this is uh, what you call it. This is uh, we're picking up credentials, and it's me being being bougie Taylor, and so Matt. Is a is an exercise guy, and Matt likes to be physical. Matt likes to get out and get his runs in, and all this other stuff. Um, Alan, our producer, was a known walker. You know, like he goes on ten mile walks. So they're like, "Let's get credentials." And I'm thinking, "Can we just get a cab or an Uber? Hurry up and get over there and get back." And these two assholes go, "Oh, it's a great day for a walk. Let's walk." And I'm like, "Fuck me, I don't want to." Oh, walk in Miami? Yet. Oh my God, I remember this. <laughs> And these guys thought it was probably like a 15-minute walk. I didn't even want to do that. So you can imagine the steam coming off my head internally when this 15-minute walk turned into like 45 miles. And I'm like, these motherfuckers got me out it of was, here. It was like walking. almost an hour. <laughs> Dude, that was hot as... That's a five-mile walk. Yeah, was, man. That was awesome. I forgot about that. I was like, man, this is taking forever. <laughs> I was hot as fish grease. There was no shade on the side of the road. I was just pissed. Yeah, and and was, I was like, these. these it had to be like you know, 75, 80 degrees. It was yeah. sunny. There was no clouds <laughs> in Miami. Oh, that was awesome. We were drenched in sweat by the time we got to the convention center. And I was trying to be a good teammate. So I just, <laughs> I was just mad by myself. You should have seen the text messages I fired off <laughs> while we were walking. Uh, but anyway. Don't you ever do that to me again. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh no, no. I sent this to people like Calvin and Chill and anybody else I thought I could I could send it to who would it wouldn't get back. I was trying to be a good teammate. 
Oh, that was a good one, man. That that was I forgot about that, but yeah, that sucked. <laughs> Even I at the end of it cuz we were all drenched in sweat. I was like, dude, this is this cuz now we have to go back to the hotel and change cuz we're all soaking. <laughs> I mean, this is horrible. Yeah, and I had on like a t-shirt sweatshirt. It was we were in actual Miami cuz we were we were staying a few miles. We were on like not that far from South Beach. I guess technically we're on South Beach. Yeah, we were. We were like on the northern part of South Beach in some like I don't even know what they're like a mom and pop type 1960s hotel. It was really weird. It's kind of like a retro hotel. Yeah, but it was nice. Yeah, so it's nice. Well, right, here enough he is. about that. It is our our ESPN Cowboys Insider, brought to you by BlueStarMotorGroup.com. Todd Archer joining us and joining the conversation. And I was going to start, Todd, because you had the article that came out yesterday about Micah Parsons, and Jack and I had talked about Micah a little bit after he was in the Pro Bowl and. We see what he can do, and he had kind of said he was going to go all out in the Pro Bowl. What did you pick up in your conversation with with Micah Parsons working on this article? He's not satisfied. And, and look, it's easy to say all that stuff, right, because you know it's the right thing to say. But we've seen him here be a pretty earnest dude in his first year with the team that what he says is what he does. And, you know, when he says, bro, I can get better everywhere, he, he, he literally – actually means it and will look at different ways to get better. I'm curious to see how the Cowboys uh, let him evolve. Like, do they put him at this one spot? Do they keep moving him around? He wants to keep moving around and doing all these different things, which I think, you know, is probably the right way to go about it. But, you know, there are things he can get better at. He can be better as a run defender and making sure he's in the right fits and things like that. Go back to Debo Samuel's touchdown uh, in the playoff game. That one's kind of on everybody, but probably he got a minus on that one, I'm sure, from the coaches for not being in the right spot. Um, you know, and, you know, coverage-wise, I'm sure there's some things that he can do. And I just look at the dude, it's like, he didn't play football last in 2020, and he came out and did that. Let's give him more experience and knowing what he's doing coupled with that ability. What can this do? What can this guy do? Like, his rookie year is pretty phenomenal. And then if you add experience, I think he actually can get better. I like him because he just seems to have a knack. <clears throat> I don't think knack's the right word. He just says the right things when asked. And I think it's that, um, you know, that thing, that whole thing about what do you remember from last year? I remember losing in the first round of the playoffs. You know, um, asked about the Pro Bowl. Oh, they're going to be mad at me. I'm going to be playing so hard. They're going to tell me to sit down. All that stuff. Yeah, and then to he me, didn't man. do that, though. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, that's probably because they, they saw those quotes and talked to him beforehand. Right. Uh, right. But <clears throat> the idea is that he just seems to get it, man. He seems to understand what it takes to be great, and he seems to be willing to do that. Yeah, and, and there's, look, we all know that there's a lot that comes with playing for the Cowboys, and you get a lot of stuff thrown your way, even when you've not accomplished things that this guy accomplished his rookie year. So. Dealing with success as a cowboy is probably more difficult than dealing with success uh, as if you were with pick another team, whoever you want to say, the, the Falcons, right? Yeah, because now it's going to be the expectation is he's going to be this guy every single year, and he's going to have six games on national TV every single year to make sure he's living up to that standard. So, uh, you know, how he lives up to the expectation. Is going to be a big part of his offseason and how he deals with um, all of the praise coming in way, coming his way, and how he deals with all success and 
what goes to his head and what's going to be important to him. Is it going to be, hey, I get a chance to film this commercial. Or I get a chance to uh, get this endorsement. Uh, you know, how does he manage all that stuff? And I think, you know, you look at a guy like Dak is a perfect example for him. Dak has all of these things, right? All these endorsements. You can't turn on the TV without seeing him. But he puts it in a compartment where it says, this is the time frame I'm doing it. And don't come to me with anything else after that. So maybe he, he goes to Dak and says, you know, give me the blueprint for how I'm supposed to deal with this stuff off the field. And he follows that because I don't think you can look at Dak and say the fame got to him. And, you know, at least in my view, maybe, maybe I'm an idiot. How important is, do you think, particularly in his case, because you talk about this in the article about how many times he lined up 498 times at linebacker and 374 times as a defensive lineman. How important is it for them to continue that versatility with Dan Quinn coming back in the role that he played in what we saw from Micah Parsons as a rookie? Yeah, I wonder if they've just kind of scratched the surface of what they can do uh, together with this guy because I'm sure, you know, remember, go back to draft night. Jerry told us his biggest impact will be as a pass rusher. It wasn't as a linebacker. That's what Jerry said because Jerry didn't want to draft an off-the-ball linebacker at uh, number 12 or whatever the heck it ended up, ended up being. Um, and so they told him, no, this guy can rush the passer. And I think he just kind of kept growing the packages. And, and I think with Quinn back for a second year, you can continue to come up with different ways. I, I, I do wonder, though, some of it has to be contingent on who else you have, Right. So if Randy Gregory's gone, does that change their mind? Or if Demarcus Lawrence is gone, does that change their mind? Or if both of those guys are back, does that change their mind? So, uh, and, and how they go about it. I, I think having his versatility uh, helps. You're talking 13 sacks, and what was that pass rush? The, the, the stat, like 300 and something. That's a pretty good percentage uh, when you look at compared to everybody else in, in their pressure rates. I'm sure it has to be above certainly above the league norm, and if not one or two or three in the league. So, um, you know, pass rushers change the game, but this is a guy that has shown that he can be around the ball and change the game that way too. I think the best thing to happen for him is Dan Quinn's coming back. Yeah. That, I mean, you don't want to say it's always all about the coaches because, you know, th there are times where I feel like we could coach some of these positions and these guys would be just as good. But I do think <laughs> – Right, because they're just yeah, <laughs> they're just that physically talented and athletic, and it doesn't really matter. Like, what do you guys? What are they really telling them? But having that same voice in his ear, as we talked about it being important for for McCarthy, talked about being important for Dak. I think it absolutely is important for for Mike as well. Not that Joe Witt wouldn't have been a good pick, or George Edwards, or whoever it would have been. Uh, you know, maybe could have brought some different answers and done some different things. But I I, I think that is probably the biggest benefit of Quinn coming back is the development of Micah because he's going to be the guy on this defense, you know, go, going forward. He, he, right. I mean, he, okay. Diggs led the league and pick Micah's the guy. Uh, yeah. Marcus Lawrence is a really good player, but Micah's the guy. So I think Quinn Quinn's return really helps there. Do you think we may see him, like, as you pointed out, and again, the numbers, 498 times at linebacker, 374 as a defensive lineman. I mean, if they have to move on from a Randy Gregory or potentially even a tank, do you think we may see Micah Parsons kind of flip that next year where he's used 100, 150 times more as a defensive lineman versus lining up as a linebacker? Right, and, and that's where it depends on, well, tell me what they're going to do in free agency, yeah. tell me what they're going to do in the draft. And, and whatever you do, you, you kind of have to have – 
remember Vander Esch is a free agent too, so you you, you need linebacker help. I mean, I mean Jabril Cox is coming off his torn ACL, and they can think all these good things about what he can be, but you almost have to prepare as if whatever you get from him this year is gravy, and you need more numbers at that spot. In, in my view, so linebackers it's still a, a big need, even with Micah there. But I, I think how they deploy him, what they do, really. We can talk it all about all, all we want on February 8th, but it, they're not going to really know until you get through the free agency in March and then through the draft in April. And if the draft is in May, I apologize. Is the draft in May this year? The first the first yeah, round's in May. April for sure. I think I think it's okay. like the first two days are April and the last day's in May, I think. Okay. So, yeah, the, the point stands. You guys yeah. know where I'm coming yeah. from. Yeah. What do you think about uh, Kellen Moore coming back? and, uh, you know, what it means for him going forward. We talked a little bit about this, I think, last week, where since the season ended, Kellen has become, like, this idiot coach who doesn't know what the hell he's doing. And I think that narrative got far too played out by far too many people, or maybe it's just the loud knuckleheads on Twitter. He's good. Is he great? Is he whoever you want to say is the best play caller in the league? Is he that guy? No. But you can't just dismiss the numbers that they put up in his three years of calling plays. Um, th- does he abandon the run at times? Yes, they all do. Uh, does he get stale at times? Yeah, they all kind of do. Does he need to come up with better solutions quicker? Yes, and I think that's where the growth comes from experience. And, you know, th- does that come from McCarthy being more involved? In, in game day or even during the week of like how they're setting up the plan does that come and how they work the run game with the offensive line coaches and, and how they work that on game days you know I I, I think it's it, it, you gotta remember the dude's 33 like he's not 53 he's not Norv coming here who had called some plays before and, you know and it just but but I do think he's trending in the right direction but I think Cowboys fans, and I guess deservedly so or rightfully so, are tired of the trending in the right direction. They want the guy that's going to have all the answers to the test before he even knows what questions are going to be asked. Um, but I, I think they're on the right track, and I think him being him back helps Dak. Helps continuity is not a bad thing when you look that they had the number one offense in points and yards last year, and some of that is skewed by three games in the second half of the season, I realize, but you can't just throw away the entire season and say it was a colossal failure and they'll never win if Kellen Moore is their play caller. I mean, that just seems asinine to me. Who you like in the Super Bowl this week? Who's playing? <laughs> um, I'll give you a hint. Not the Cowboys. Not ooh, Okay, so that's 31 other teams. So I'm going to go with my uh, heart on this one. And the first job I had covering the NFL was covering the Bengals. Uh, for the now dearly departed Cincinnati Post. Um, and covering them, it was hard because they were bad. The high watermark was 7-9 and nine, uh, when Boomer Siasen came in and won four of his last five uh, starts in 97. And then my, instead of signing him, Mike Brown said, yeah, go take the Monday night football job, which I, you know, I, I, I didn't think was the right move then. Um, and then they signed Neil O'Donnell, doesn't go well. Then they drafted Keeley Smith, doesn't go well. Uh, so I, I'd like to see the Bengals win, uh, just from a personal standpoint of 
I covered that team. I know the Brown family. They were good to me. They helped me greatly in how to figure out how to cover this league because our access was unfettered in some respects. Like, we would walk in. Jacques was, it, it reminded me of a story Jacques would tell me about Valley Ranch. Like, in the off season, you just walk into the locker room and everybody was, no one really said anything to you. Um, so it, it really helped you learn the job on the fly in, in a good and solid way. So I'd like to see the, the Bengals uh, win this thing. And I think I even picked them on ESPN.com when that one comes out. And I said Burrow will be the MVP. Yeah, that'd be. Uh, Marcus Fair Hall of Famer? He's got to be, right? First ballot? I don't pretend to know how the Hall of Fame voters will go about this thing. Um because we know some of them, and they can be quirky in how they think uh, of things. Um, but you look at his numbers. I don't know how you make the case against him other than, well, this guy's been waiting too long, and this guy's been waiting too long, and we got to get this guy because he's waiting too long, and you only have five bucks. Yeah. That's the only way that I can see it not happening this year because he has the sack, he has the all-pros, he has the signature moments, and he has a Super Bowl. So, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I hope that were to happen uh, this week for him, and and he's he, he'd be the first Cowboy Hall of Famer to not win a Super Bowl in Dallas. Is that right? That's right. Wow. Yeah. How about that? And, and you know, I, I do like seeing some of the like how the Broncos claim him. It's like, he played there three years. What are we doing? Like, <laughs> He's a like cowboy. Come Tony on. Tony Dorsett, too. You know what I mean? Like, it's really weird. But I, I hope he makes it. And um, because he, he is truly one of the good guys that has uh, come through that locker room, uh, I'll say ever, at least since the tenure that I've been covering this team. Yeah, I got to think he gets in. I was just looking at the list, and I don't know. I mean, I, you know, Jared Allen probably gets in at some point. I wonder if this is the year Tony Baselli gets in because it's him and Willie Anderson at the at the offensive line spots. I think so. You know, so really it'd be you've got kind of, I guess that they're looking at this, Patrick Willis, Ware, Zach Thomas, Richard Seymour, Sam Mills, and Jared Allen are really the defensive, like, front seven guys that you'd maybe pick two people out of that. I would think Ware would get in if you're only taking two out of that group. Well, and Dude. again, Leroy Butler too. Like if, and that'll cause a big stir here because everybody say, "Well, how can Darren Woodson not be in if he's going to make it in it?" And that's where, like, if you look at the guys that have been waiting a little while, you mentioned Baselli. Butler's been on the list a little bit. Yeah, um, Seymour's a guy that has been a finalist for the last, for a few years. Uh, Zach Thomas made it to the final final round last year so you got guys that have been in this queue for quite a long time but again I mean if you know I wonder if Devin Hester's going to make it to be honest with you I mean um you know that even though this is I think his first year in there so yeah but yeah I mean you put it up against you put the markets against those guys it's hard to make a case against them when you do the who would you rather have on your team compared to some of those guys and i realize that you know pass rushers change games as i said earlier and he, he's to me he's the best one on that list 
Nah, I think I, I find it hard to believe he wouldn't be in on the first ballot. Just seems like yeah, he's a great player. Because good dude. Yeah, this will be interesting because there's only three guys who made the finalists that are in their first year of eligibility. Andre Johnson, the wide receiver, Demarcus, and then Devin Hester, as you said, Todd. So, I mean, if if one guy is going to get in as a first ballot guy, to me, it would be Demarcus Ware. Andre Johnson, maybe too, because his numbers are pretty ridiculous, and what he was able to do down there. But but again, is the separator a Super Bowl? Well, Demarcus won a Super Bowl. No, he won a Super Bowl. He played great in that AFC title game against the Patriots to get them to the Super Bowl. And I talked to Wade Phillips earlier today for a story I'm doing on DeMarcus, and he said the biggest play of their Super Bowl win against Carolina was DeMarcus's sack of Cam Newton on the final play of the first half where they were in field goal range. He sacked and took him out, and Wade said, we got in the locker room, we knew the game was over. Wow. So, again, big plays, big moments. Um, certainly, that that's one – that's one right there for in Demarcus's favor. Yeah, and, and if it's not Demarcus, then maybe it'll be former Cowboy Zach Thomas getting into the Hall of Fame. Another guy that I covered in my career, <laughs> I covered the Dolphins uh, during his. He should be in as well. But again, he should be. Like, yeah. this, is, this is the hardest thing to do, right? Because there's only five spots. So if you're going to say, if you're going to pick five, and then you say, okay, well, this guy should have made it instead. Well, I mean, you can make legit cases for all these guys. Seymour has all those Super Bowls in New England. Uh, Zach is among the league leader in NFL history for tacklers and was a multi-time all-pro pick. Reggie Wayne, we know what, what his career was like in Indianapolis. So, you know, um, I, I'm glad Willie Anderson is on this list too, going back to my history, because he was an outstanding tackle, stuck on bad teams for a long, long time. But it was a guy who never gave up any sacks even when he was facing premier pass rushers, you know, from from back in the day that are now in the Hall of Fame. I mean, he, he would zone a lot of guys. So it's, it's a tough job that those guys have to do in the, in the committee. And I always wonder if, like, they should open up more slots because there are more players in the NFL than in the Hall of Fame. Um, and, and you can break a log jam in some respect. Um, but I... I certainly hope on Thursday we learn that DeMarcus is in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I do too. That'd and be now pre- I hope, and, th- and then I hope that we don't learn five minutes later that the Cowboys were playing in the Hall of Fame game. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because I don't, you don't want to do the Oxnard LA thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> again, that's a pain in the butt. All right. Todd Archer, as always, man, we appreciate it. Thanks for doing it. Yep. Thanks, guys. All right. See you. There he is, our ESPN Cowboys insider, Todd Archer. As always, brought to you by Blue Star Motor Group. BlueStarMotorGroup.com. I'm telling you, if you're in the car buying process, you've got to start it with Deb and Blue Star Motor Group. 817-770-0174. All right, we're on a tight window today, just in our personal schedules. So this one's probably a little quicker, but... We'll be back at it again. We'll have another podcast dropping for you on Friday, and we'll have Clarence Hill Jr., We'll have Ed Werder get his thoughts on the Super Bowl, and we'll wrap up the week with the big one for you guys there because everybody likes it big. Yeah, they do. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. 
Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.